0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Delicate Database. And as I mentioned in the previous episode, we're gonna have a guest who is here with me. I'm gonna allow him to introduce himself and just tell you a bit more about what he's doing. So hello Alex, how are you today? Not too bad. Sorry, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing very, very well. Um yeah, do you wanna tell the lovely listeners what you've been up to and what you've been doing?
1: Sure, sure. Um, So, I have sort of two jobs because why only stop at one? The first job is my day job. Um, I'm the CTO
2: um, and chief cyber consultant for Talus UK, um, which is a large um,
1: systems integration company. We do a lot of work in critical infrastructure, uh, defense, government, etc. But on the nights and weekends of my half spare time, um, I'm a director of a startup company looking at a tax service management for uh, large-scale
0: customers. Wow. First of all, how do you even have spare time to do all of this? They both sound like such demanding roles. Um.
1: Yes. Well, I didn't say I did any of them any well. I
0: just
1: said <laughs> I didn't. So I think the trick is doing lots of stuff and not very well.
0: <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. Thank you. So how is it like running a startup in the cyber world? Like how are you finding it? What do you guys get up to?
1: it's really easy. All you need is a great idea and access to a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the bad news of that is you and half the world has the same opportunity, <laughs> so it's of just competing with other people and you're not there, You're not competing with everybody around the world who also has a great idea, also access to computers, and also wants to sort of uh, sell services um, and solve the cyber challenge. So in a way, it's a fantastic time to be an entrepreneur in the sector, um, but it's also highly competitive. So you really have to find, instead of trying to solve the whole problem, find a niche, find something that you're really good at, you solve a problem really, really well, um, Mm -hmm. that's disruptive to the current market, and you'll find a way to succeed.
0: So what is it that you guys are trying to achieve um, at the startup?
1: Sure. Um, It sounds like a really simple problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I go to a large company and say, okay, uh, do you know uh, all of the, uh, what all of your assets are that are facing the internet? And do you know what state they're in?
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: the vast majority of people don't. What they'll say is they, they know, uh, say a company has a thousand computers connected to the internet their IT team probably will tell you straight away at least a third of them, 300 of them. They'll say, yes, we definitely know these. These are the things that we have because those are the main things that they look after, They're sort of corporate websites, corporate email servers. It's the things they think about day in, day out. Yeah. There's probably another two-thirds to, make, you know, to half to two-thirds which sometimes they forget about. They're old marketing servers, engineering servers, stuff that they stood up ages ago for one purpose and then mm-hmm. completely forgot about or things that other people who are non it stand. So you'll end up with a whole load of what we call either um, sh- uh, legacy assets, so all the stuff that's kind of forgotten yeah. about, um, also known as orphaned assets, um, or you have shadow IT where people have just done stuff, forgot to tell them because they just need to get it done quickly, but yet still contain corporate data. So they have all of that. And it's very difficult to know what you don't know essentially yeah so what we do is we basically say to a customer tell us what you do know about yourself, and then we'll go off and look at absolutely you know find all well a find everything else and then b if i take a thousand things what i really want to understand is of those thousand machines which ones should i be paying attention to which ones from an attacker's point of view are they most likely to attack because you tend not to go after Um, the most well defended front front door, you tend to go around and
2: find the open window in the back. But which of those thousand servers, especially the ones that you're not aware of, are the ones which are present the biggest opportunity for
1: attackers. So that's what we do.
0: Find all the things
1: and then analyse them and tell you which bits um, you should be really concerned about.
0: Okay. That makes sense. It's like the stuff that they've forgotten about, forgotten about. So then would they end up going to solve it or do you guys help them solve it themselves? (laughs)
2: Yeah, so I think um,
1: there's two ways of looking at it, and it's a great question. The first way is um, we can go and let's do scanning. So you can basically just use simple tools, and you can go out and scan all the things, and that will basically come back and tell you here are a thousand things wrong because a computer's gone off and run like a vulnerability scanner. So basically, they're trying to find out what software you're running is it an old or unpatched version. And these are all your vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is you, if you ever see one of these reports, every machine will probably come back with a couple of hundred issues. So take a couple of hundred issues, multiply that, by a couple of hundred servers, and suddenly yeah. you have way too many things for any one person to do, deal with. So what we do is we try and look at all that instead of telling you all the things, what we want to do is tell you what are the most important things. So we add context. So when we're looking at a system, we'll actually provide back. Here is a list of the uh, really critical issues uh, prioritized that say, right, this is what you need to worry about feel free to go off later on and do your vulnerability scanning and make sure you do all the basic side hygiene yeah. but I'm really more focused on the um, impact side let me tell you what's the most important things the most impactful things because that's something that a customer can actually do that's, that's the problem they can solve because it's a known entity but tell them too many things yeah they don't know where to start
0: okay oh this makes sense this is such like a niche area, I don't think I've heard of a company that does this. Like how did you even get into this? Well for start there's one
2: um it was from one uh, guy who was at was at university mm-hmm. um
1: came up with this idea of using machine learning to help solve this problem okay. uh, and really had a really interesting idea. yes you know, since then he's dropped out of university. Um and is doing the startup full-time and he's got a number of different startups so he's one of these serial entrepreneurs who has great ideas and has the dedication to actually turn them into reality Um, but i think the the thing which really took my interest is there are plenty of cybersecurity tools out there Mm -hmm. which a machine does not get tired so it will scan absolutely everything and it will be so it will it
2: focuses on completeness so it
1: focuses on telling you everything yeah which People look at that success and say, Look, I have found a thousand things, and here's everything you ever wanted to know. And like, that's great. But I'm I'm tired
2: even <laughs> by looking at the results. Yeah. I mean, so I thought it was really interesting when he came out
1: and said, Look, what we'll really do is we'll show you the most important bits, and those are really highly correlated with anomalous. If there's a system that doesn't look like anything else, mm-hmm. it's most likely to have this sort of uh, represent the biggest cyber security risk if you tend to look like everything else you have a tendency you're more likely to have good security controls it's just one of those sort of correlation the most unique tends to be the most um, exploitable
0: yeah no that, that makes sense and it's just i think i remember speaking about this in the previous episode how yeah you just don't realize how sneaky hackers are and how they will just get in like you said they'll find a way and i guess this is a good way of covering all bases and making sure that they don't find a way, I guess. Oh, right.
1: But remember, um, what I always like to think in terms of security is um, there is somebody on the other end of that. We kind of have a tendency to think of attackers as this um, either all-powerful entity or some shadow entity we don't know the face, but we know they just sit there all the time and they're yeah. so absolutely dedicated on
0: getting out of to you. Yeah, literally. And it's just not true. Oh. <laughs> They're people and people are lazy.
1: People couldn't be, you know, will always find the simplest way to accomplish something. And so, one tactic that companies tend to try and want to achieve is I want to be a less attractive target than my neighbor. Mm-hmm. So, when an attacker looks at me, they go, Actually, this is really difficult. It, there's no easy way in. Oh, But if I go next door to somebody else, oh, look, there's plenty of easy ways in I'm going to put my effort here. They're not going to keep banging their head against a wall, which is so, you
2: know,
1: and try and attack it. So you're just going to deter somebody. And that really involves, how do I make it so there's no obvious ways in?
0: That makes sense. Yeah, I feel like you're right about what you said originally, like how we think they're just this shadow entity. And it's true, they actually are just people and they probably will get fed up. So finding ways to block them will probably be helpful. But what I do wonder is, like, why is it still happening? Like, you have all these technologies to obviously stop them. Why isn't it just stopping them?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a really interesting engine. And it's an engineering challenge rather than a security challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, The way I think of it is a cybersecurity vulnerability is anything where I can make a system work in a way that was unintended, and unanticipated and undesired by the designer and or owner of the system. So we have a tendency to build systems to work, um, you know, work in the right way when I do the right things. So if I operate in a certain way, it will have a reliable uh, uh, reliable Mm output and I can test it. Every time I do this, it does, you know, it analyzes, computes and then spits out the right answer. So it's deterministic and I love it known inputs equal known outputs that's fantastic Mm. the vulnerability is when what is that unknown inputs what happens instead of operating it in the right sequence what happens if i do things out of sequence what happens if i you know instead of it's expecting a number between one and ten what happens if i give it a number of a thousand you know let's just see how if it fails in an interesting way and it can't handle that that's a vulnerability so that's really what attackers are doing are finding out ways in which a computer can be operated in a way that was unanticipated. Okay. And that's the real problem is when the system designers just never think about all the ways
0: it can go wrong. They've only really thought about all the ways it should go right. Right. Yeah. Oh, and they do not cover everything. I, okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, and then you add on complexity. So yeah. then the other thing is, this is it's not just one thing. You have one application sitting on top of Um, an operating system sitting on top of a computer, sitting on top of a network. It's just incredibly complicated and everybody makes assumptions. So I assume maybe the information I'm being presented to is right because and then I'll send information out and something else will assume that what they're being told by me is correct Mm
2: -hmm. so there's
1: normally a lot of assumptions and then these assumptions plus complexity plus size just means there's a heck of a lot of ways in which I can make a system work in a way that's unanticipated
0: Uh, yeah that makes that just clears it up for me because yeah I did not think of it that way at all I don't know what I was thinking and how they were just getting in and (laughs) Because I think I saw a stat- statistic that we spend so much money on cybersecurity and, but yeah, you're right, people aren't just expecting it. It's
1: because we like the solutions that we buy to mm. be cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of want our software and our computers to be as cheap and as, you know, or free as possible. I they forget, well, wait a minute, it takes time, money and effort to build these systems that it's not always easy. You know, if you want it to be secure, that's no problem. We probably can design something to be inherently secure, but that takes time, which and time costs money because it requires people. Yeah. and you know, it, it, ultimately, it's going to be too expensive, and nobody will go say, "Well, I don't really want to buy something <laughs> that
0: expensive.
1: <laughs> I'm going to have it to something much cheaper."
0: And then they get attacked.
1: <laughs> think, yeah. Well, get then there's just they, they are now relying on a system. Which other people can use in ways they didn't anticipate. So, if you think about what a security control is, all a yeah. security control is is trying to constrain a system to only work in a certain way that was expected. So, if I if I want a system to only allow authorized users to access it, well, I'm going to put in a username and password. I'm going to make it so that only um, somebody who who has a credential can sit down and use the computer. Yeah. that's great. Right until the fact that, oh, well, how do you store that username and password? Because that password has to be stored somewhere. And if I can read that password from a database somewhere, well, I can then pretend to be a user. So now, oh, Christ, well, okay, now we've got to try and protect the database of credentials. Um, How do you do that? So you'll, Mm -hmm. you'll find that there's Every design choice has an unintended consequence and you have to mitigate that unintended consequence and down the rabbit hole we go. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but then that means it's never just going to, it's never going to stop, like hacking's going to be forever. Is that essentially what's going to happen then? It can never be stopped.
1: <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I don't think you can ever get to the point where it's something is uh, entirely unhackable mm. and also be usable. So you can probably make it so it's unhackable, but is it provide, is then the computer system that you create functionally usable, efficient? It does actually help you, or have you constrained it so much that it can't be worked? So a good example of that is, I love the fact, you know, uh, I could use my computer to run a spreadsheet and I can manage my own finances. Mm -hmm. Well, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's also considered a big hack in. So would it be better if I just use a calculator and a piece of paper? Well, yes.
0: But it's not that convenient. Oh, yeah. So you're always
2: sacrificing convenience
0: for security oh, in the of States. Yeah I, yeah, I have not thought about it that way. You're so right. It's always going to happen, but everyone's going to obviously want a convenient way of doing things. And with that comes the opportunity and for cyber attacks. With
1: great power comes great responsibility. <laughs>
0: you know? yeah. Exactly. Well, oh, that's a bit worrying then. It's actually a bit sad, but I guess businesses are trying to do their best to stop it, essentially, and they don't yes. want it to happen. Hmm. Which
1: is why I think, you know, um, we, which is why the cybersecurity market, I think, is it's slowly changing. You're starting to hear people talk a little bit less about cybersecurity mm-hmm. and a little bit more about cyber resiliency.
2: Okay. And
1: what we mean by that yeah. is, all right, things are going to go wrong at the moment where a lot of cybersecurity today is talking about risk reduction. And they're always saying, okay, we need to reduce the likelihood of somebody attacking me, reduce the likelihood of compromise.
2: I'm yeah. trying
1: to add in all this control, stop anybody hacking in. And we're saying well, it's a losing battle. You've probably heard the expression that the defender has to be right all the time, the
2: attacker only has to be right once. Once, yeah. Well, yeah. if you play that game, that's dumb. That's you're already <laughs> onto them you've already framed the
1: the uh, sort of game in a way that you will always lose. So people on our side of thinking, okay. Accept the fact that you're going to be compromised. Accept the fact that the attacker is going to get in. Now what? What can you do to basically make it harder on the attacker, make it so that once they do compromise, it has a minimum amount of impact? Then I don't care. So we're trying to move away from just sort of risk, entirely focused on risk reduction, and more on the risk acceptance side of, okay, an impact happens, but it's not going to kill me. I'm fine with getting a flu. Yeah. I just don't want to catch Ebola.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense when you say it like that. I don't think I've actually heard of that term. What was it? Cyber resiliency.
1: Yeah, cyber resiliency, and it's basically it's the ability to adapt and withstand uh, an attack.
2: Okay. So
1: you've probably heard there's a there's a good standard set of standards out there for the U.S. government. Uh, Mm -hmm. the National Institute of Science and Technology in the States. Uh, And NIST has a whole load of standards around cybersecurity, including what they call the Cybersecurity Framework. And a lot of the time, they focus a lot on protect, detect, uh, respond and recover. So identify, protect, detect, respond and recover, which is always about, all right, think about your system, design it, protect it from attack, detect those things go wrong react and recover, sort of minimises it. And everybody is so focused on the idea of, well, I stop people getting in, but then if they do get in, try and react and recover quickly. And they're still on that mindset of, um, playing the attacker's game. Once they're in, respond to them. Instead of practically thinking, all right, when we, you know, if it's an attacker gets in, yeah. instead of respond and recover, it's the can I withstand it does it matter? can I adapt and change and modify so that an attacker once they get in they can't do a lot there's actually it's meaningless versus not that much of um, a good example of that mm. is something called chaos computing
2: mm. That's it's not specifically done for security mm. uh, but it's done more for resiliency and it's a concept that was really pioneers and matured
1: by Netflix okay. um, so what Netflix realized was um, people, if, if they sit down, if I turn on my TV and I load up Netflix,
2: and yeah. if Netflix
1: isn't loading, the easiest thing is they i just going to say, ah, instead of waiting for it, I'm going to flick over and start using Amazon Prime or
2: BCI yeah, yeah.
1: or anybody else. There are so many other services that being able to respond to when somebody requests a service and it just has to work is really critical to their business success mm-hmm. and they realize a lot of times it, when systems don't work it's because somebody screwed up when i'm rebuilding my system doing something if i make a slight configuration error
0: yeah no of course that yeah. system
1: crashes and we've already seen that, oh, when the system crashes, it makes worldwide news. When Instagram goes down, when something <laughs> else makes a mistake, and the whole thing dies, yeah. everybody freaks out. Yeah, it's crazy. And yeah. like, this is nuts. Why don't we? Um, why can't we recover when a mistake happens? So what they instituted was this idea of what they called a chaos monkey. Okay. and What that was was a, either way, at some random time in the day, mm-hmm. I am going to intentionally turn off a machine. I'm going to walk over and flick the switch and turn it on, And the engineers had to come up with a way of saying, I have to withstand that. So they had to build in the concept of if something goes wrong, something else picks them. And now they intentionally, once a day, de- you know, constantly throughout the system, oh. they, are, they have chaos monkeys running around causing havoc by randomly turning things off. <laughs>
0: that sounds crazy, but it makes sense. So
1: yeah, but now as a company, as an idea, as engineers, they are comfortable... With the idea of change they're comfortable with the ideas of things going wrong and adapting and that's now so infused the culture and how they think and design systems yeah that they are much more resilient to attack because an attack or something going wrong isn't a big deal because they you know they inflict damage on themselves every day but actually <laughs> damage by an
2: attacker well, can, <laughs> do like much. <laughs>
0: oh wow so i guess is this what a lot of companies are doing now has you said this is this a, oh sorry is there a lot of move from cyber security to cyber resiliency like as you mentioned with netflix and this what did you call it chaos what was it chaos computing chaos computing is like a lot of companies doing this now or still um
1: it's picking up but it's not quite there yet okay there, although people are now starting to realize the need for it because i'm sure you saw recently um, a couple of big incidents and uh, crypto ransomware is driving a lot of this. So yeah. the colonial pipeline in America mm-hmm. um, when it shut down suddenly we lost the ability to, put, uh, to move oil around the east coast and suddenly everybody freaked out.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: Same thing that happened with then a uh, pork distributor you know, big meat distributor uh, mm. in the States. There's all these systems ha- you know, but um, well, even supply chain when a big tanker got stuck in the Suez and suddenly everybody freaked out because they couldn't move. We Build these systems to be really efficient, um, and that's what companies have been focusing on a lot is how to make everything just in time, really efficient. And they forget that if something goes wrong, they are also efficiency is highly correlated with fragility, mm-hmm. so they break and it goes wrong. Yeah, and this is where companies now start to realize, oh, hang on, maybe their entire focus on being efficient. It actually makes us really fragile. And as a business, we can't withstand something going wrong. So companies are starting to realize, okay, maybe we need to design for resiliency. But yeah. that's hard because their entire business mantra, a lot of their investment cases, a lot of just the culture is around efficiency and doing it right, you know, so it, where everything just works. Right. And they're not comfortable culturally with coming up with, a, you know, of just saying, ah, oh, we're going to be attacked, it's going to go wrong, and we're okay with that. So, although companies mm. love the idea, culturally, it's a really hard thing to put into practice. Especially because it costs more money.
0: Yeah, that's true. But it, in the long run, it's it's better. But like, yeah, as you said, culturally, I don't think it will agree with a lot of people. Mm.
1: Exactly. And can a company financially set themselves up? Because what you're really doing is setting yourself up to withstand... Uh, shocks when things go wrong well if things go right you just took on a lot of extra cost that you didn't need to and a competitor who maybe has a bit more of a risk appetite says you know what I'm going to be okay I'm just going to risk it yeah they can do things cheaper Um, they won't withstand the shock but until the shock happens they might end up being cheaper and that's a really hmm. tough thing for a company to do, is to say, actually, I'm planning for the future. I expect things to go wrong. But in the meantime, I'm going to be more expensive.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, it makes more sense to just be resilient and just to know something bad's going to happen and prepare for it. But I can imagine imagine big companies are not going to want to spend money on what-ifs. which Exactly. <laughs> Oh gosh, <laughs> it does sound a bit. I don't know. It's interesting that the, we're moving away from security and being more resilient. But yeah, I can understand why some companies wouldn't. But I did have actually a few questions, um, that I did get sent in from people. Um, if okay. you don't mind taking them, sorry, I'm kind of springing this on you. But um, so the first one was, how do you actually get into it? How does one get into cybersecurity, like working in the field, if? You're not from a computer science background sure. or stuff. Um,
1: there's a tendency to really uh, try to go out there and get, get certifications.
2: Because mm-hmm.
1: certifications are a way, especially if you have no uh, experience, yeah. to demonstrate they have capability. Yes, that is one way, but there are many other ways. What I, as an employer, is passion. Okay. behaviors is more than anything else what i want to hire for because i can teach you the things what i can't teach you is having passion or a desire to do it mm-hmm. so one of the ways is just what do you do when you spend? you know how do you spend your spare time how do you actually progress are you running a podcast on <laughs> cyber security yeah. are you do you have a raspberry Pi at home and play around what have you done in your own home network have you ever annoyed your family by <laughs> trying to deploy a pie hole and killing the internet in the house. <laughs> it's like, well, I was just trying. Those kind of behaviors yeah. are what employees are really looking for. Then after that, it's just reaching out to people. So I've had a couple of people who reach out to me over LinkedIn.
0: Mm. Or
1: I said hey, I met this person who decided to start up his own company in it. At a cyber event, um, he came up I, you know, at the end of I gave a talk, I then said, if anybody has any questions by all means get in touch and they actually did so don't be scared reach out to people ask for help and you'd be amazed at how many people uh will want to help you out so go on twitter go on reddit there are plenty of security forums on reddit Mm. Um, and just ask for help or ask for queries and you'll be amazed at how many people will help you out
0: yeah no that's really helpful i feel like people do get a bit scared reaching out to people just because of rejection but and i always tell myself that rejection is only the is the worst thing that they can say is no and you never know what could come of it so i think yeah reaching out and just trying to be more proactive yeah, right. in your
1: position.
0: yeah exactly no well, i hope that was helpful um also um what do you think are, like the biggest cybersecurity threats right now in like the 21st century in 2021
2: yeah
1: well ransomware is, is the most obvious one from a uh impactful point of view
2: mm-hmm. there is
1: so much money to be made from ransoming uh, from the ransomware industry yeah at the moment and in fact the ransomware industry is so commoditized now so instead of one person trying to do everything
2: mm-hmm. there's
1: it's now created an entire ecosystem where somebody's trying to generate the ways of attacking people so some people will Generate a lot of credentials to get into places. Other people will generate the uh, initial modes of compromise and the write them out. Other people conduct the campaigns, and it's it's such an industry that there are so many different people that it's moving really, really quickly. It's really mature. Yeah. So I think the ransomware is driving a lot of risk and is driving a lot of cyber security. So that's the real risk is being able to withstand it, and it's really tough because it's not a simple thing to just to stop because essentially you either cut yourself off and stop the
2: way your business normally operates or yeah. you have to get really good I was talking
1: about this really good with change really good with impact so yeah. if ransomware does come in can you basically quarantine everything turn it off rebuild everything and carry yeah. on can you withstand it because if you could withstand ransomware then it's, you know, it, it doesn't hold much fear. But if you're incredibly fragile, and you can't
2: withstand it, yeah, then you're going to have a problem. So that's, absolutely. I think, the,
1: the biggest near-term threat. After that, as I said, the the next sort of threat is likely to be the ability to um, adapt to change. Um, we've seen that Politics is now getting very, very heavily involved in cybersecurity. Yeah, and what I mean by that is now cyberspace is now a defined battlefield for different, you know, uh, for countries. And mm. So it's it's taken on anything from misinformation to uh, intellectual property theft to attacking critical infrastructure. You name it, you know, and ransomware. It's now a le- it's now a legitimate area, and as the attacker community is. Growing constantly, and the sophistication
2: of what the attackers do is constantly growing. So you just have to get comfortable with the fact that
0: things are changing, and you're going to have to change your own technology. You can't sort of sit back and think, (laughs) you know, all the things. Yeah, that won't do anybody any good. No, no, that's understandable. Thank you. Um, And I think I have two more questions.
2: questions.
0: Sure. Um, The second one was, how has or has COVID even impacted the cybersecurity world? Or have you seen it have an impact in your um, field?
1: It's an interesting one. Yeah, it it has. Um, uh, how to describe this? So it used to be companies used to care a lot about their uh, perimeter defense. So they would worry about, okay, all of my companies, uh, computer assets, and all everything I own is inside a boundary. And we have a tendency to think of that as everything is even inside an office. Mm-hmm. And now because of COVID, everybody started working remotely, that suddenly, oh, all of my data, all of my users, all of my systems are no longer in a, um, in a protected boundary. They're now out in the world, and mm-hmm. they're all connected to the over-the-internet. So as a um, security model, um, we've all had to change from having a sort of uh, boundary defense, where thing, bad things are outside and all my, you know, all my assets are inside, to now everything is outside. Yeah. So we've had to move to what we call sort of zero trust uh, security architecture, and
2: zero, um,
1: zero trust just means every computer, every application, every system assumes um, that I can't trust anybody. So it's, you know, the zero oh, trust okay. just means everything, doesn't trust anybody, <laughs> It doesn't trust anything. You have to prove to me who you are, yeah. and why you want to ha- contact me, which is why when I connect to everything, I have to give my username and password, to as a service, I have to sort of validate who I am at all times,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: which is great. It's a really good way, if I have a zero trust model in anything, yeah. it means I don't take that assumptions that everything is good.
0: Oh. Um, that makes a lot so more sense, yeah, that is, <laughs> why they haven't incorporated that before, that's, yeah, very useful, because anyone can just pick up your laptop and log in, so having that extra layer.
1: Exactly, but well, it's caused a stress in the industry, because suddenly, um, everybody's had to modify how they do, so it, how they access different systems, so it used to be, well, i have to go through an external VPN, if I'm outside the system, I'm going to come in through a VPN, but then I have, you know, if I come into the office and sit down at my computer, sit down at my local station,
2: mm-hmm. well then don't worry. I'm, I'm trusted. I'm in yeah. the building, therefore I'm inherently trusted. Um, and suddenly, with everybody externally, one, well everybody's VPNs no longer <laughs> could, could have. It used to be only ten people connecting every VPN. Yeah. Now you have a thousand people connecting the VPN. VPN. Ooh, I, I've got to update that. But then your, your IT security would be able to monitor those
1: external 10 people more closely because they say, okay, they're less trusted. Um, and you can more manually, you can you know, sort of um, review that because those are anomalous. When suddenly everybody moves to be external, suddenly it's very difficult to define what's anomalous because everybody's now working externally. Ah, how do I detect an attacker coming in from the external as opposed to a user? It's no longer as obvious.
0: Yeah. Oh, so what are they going to do then? How is it? How are they going to?
1: Well, we change. So you'll find security, There's,
0: as I described earlier, people are lazy. Yeah. Def- attackers are
2: lazy. Yeah. Defenders are lazy as well. Instead of looking at absolutely everything, we try
1: and find shortcuts.
2: Mm-hmm. And the way we do that is basically,
1: one, if I know, detail, you know, I try to identify known bad behavior.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's...
1: If somebody's trying to log in with somebody's password after three four times they've got the password wrong, yeah, you know what? That's probably somebody who's
2: yeah. brute forcing,
1: <laughs> trying to manually attack. every yeah. password. Okay, that's known bad behavior. If I detect a virus through a signature, yeah, known bad behavior. But there's a lot of stuff which
2: I, you know, is not obvious that it's an attack, mm-hmm. and that's where we use, um, you
1: know. Um, behavior tracking where if i see you're doing something that's a little bit more risky uh, or unusual and a good example of that is if i'm used to accessing the same folders day in day because i'm an engineer i'm actually the engineering folders yes. and i suddenly start accessing a lot of those financial folders well that's a bit weird <laughs> or i'm used to logging on at certain times but then i'm you know, I suddenly start logging on from a completely different location at a different time.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's the normalist behavior. And we start to use that to try and
1: identify, at least target the um, defender's attention.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, And then the third things we do is, uh, so if we use behavioral sort of monitoring, then we then try and identify um, a a proactively, uh, sorry, yeah i forgot what it's going go. completely forgot anyway there's a third type of detection uh, which i'll
0: leave as an exercise uh, to the reader yes <laughs> no that's really interesting actually especially the i feel like we see it all happening like i know if i log into my like gmail account and i mess up the password a couple of times it will like lock me out and i have to go through an authentication system and it's just so interesting hearing you actually describe the process actually happening but yeah, and we see it all the time on like a day-to-day basis. So, <laughs> thank you.
2: Yeah,
0: well, it's
1: <laughs> funny. story about that. That's how most, <laughs> a lot of people get hacked. Personally, mm. is because um, we going back to how complex things are. Say I do forget my password, and I legitimately do forget my password. Yeah. How do I get back access to my account? How do I prove to my to somebody else who I am? and that they should email me and send me a new password.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a really difficult problem because the one method I had to prove my identity <laughs> is the gone. one I can't use to prove my
0: identity. Yeah.
1: And it's fine if it's a company because there's probably another employee or somebody else who can vouch for you. Like, yes, I know Zoe. I've seen her. Yes, I know that's her voice. Mm. But if I'm trying to prove my identity to Apple or to Twitter or to somewhere else, that's really difficult. Because, and so... That's where a lot of these um, manual processes go on Where I forget my password, I then phone up customer support, and I can
0: basically socially engineer them into giving me access yeah, to the account. Oh, gosh.
1: Again, security
2: <laughs> versus convenience.
0: Yeah, and these, the customer service isn't their entire
1: uh, process. It, you know, their success is based on helping you, mm. the customer. So they're not incentivized to be security people or untrusting. They are, they are incentivized to be helpful.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> what I'm learning from this is that it's just going to be costing people a lot of money to just be extra safe.
1: Yes, and there's also going to be ways in which you've got to find innovative ways around the problem.
0: Because yeah. if you
1: find the same boring ways, there's normally
0: that—that's normally where attackers are yeah, able to get in. Things are done
2: the same way. Yeah. They you know, once they crack it once, it will
1: work on every case. Innovative ways are so much harder to, uh, to come up with, but then also probably a, a lot more hard to, implement, to yeah. uh, defeat. A good example of that is um, the iPhone. Mm-hmm. So it's the way they've built it up, the logging, getting into my iPhone is really easy if it's me with Face ID, with Touch ID. You just log in. Oh, it's easy. It's me. I'm in an attacker who doesn't have your face, doesn't have your fingerprint, it's suddenly a
2: heck of a lot more difficult. Yeah. And that's a, an example where it's a brilliantly
0: elegant security control, easy mm. for me to do
1: things normally, difficult for an attacker to do it. something.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. But then you also have, like, the issue of being able to... Like, I know I have a Samsung, and it won't actually let me do Face... um, Like, Face... What is it called? Face ID, because it's not as secure as like the apple system as well which is a bit annoying yeah
1: yeah and that's so we can go down the road we probably don't have time in yeah. terms of cryptography and how that's
0: all probably not sort of, yeah it's, <laughs> it's
2: it's it's all
1: fascinating but it all comes down to it. yes how can you trust how do you end up um, proving that somebody is who they say they are
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is a fascinating problem because a computer has no ability to recognize you you know you are you
0: yeah no yeah it's it's
1: only through interactions so i can only type something in i can only provide something
0: and it's really difficult gosh it's actually such a complex issue in this cyber world i think I would, when I try and like research more into it, I end up, like you said, I just end up down like a rabbit hole and I'm just, I look at one thing and I'll end up looking at another thing and it's just so much is going on. And yeah, (laughs) hard to keep track of everything and understand everything, but...
1: (laughs) if it gives you any comfort, things are only going to move quicker. So it's only going to get more complex and things are going to only move quicker. So now is the best time in life to know everything.
0: Yeah, that's true. As soon
1: as you get older, old like me, you'll start realising that, oh my God, I, you know... Everything's now. It has to be. I no longer know everything.
0: <laughs> but it seems like you manage to like keep up to date with everything. Do you usually just like read the news, or is it just the fact that you're working in an industry that makes you like able to keep up with everything?
1: You learn how to blag it. Um, <laughs> you know,
0: it's, you're right. What you have the
1: hardest part of this is not being in your own bubble. Uh, that reinforces your views, and you hear the same things again and again. I'm um, trying to expand your knowledge to be aware of what's new. It's really tough. Yeah. So yeah, either through reading, or listening to podcasts, attending different lectures, um, going to conferences, you try and hear different people's opinions. Yeah. Um, and if you find stuff in the same echo chamber, really break out. Otherwise, you're just going to hear from the same people over and especially over again who's not
0: in your industry, and yeah. not your own age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> oh Well, thank you so, so much for coming on today. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. and I, I personally have learned so much. And I think one thing that stood out to me is the chaos computing. I don't know why this just stuck with me and what Netflix is doing. And I look forward to researching more about that as well, actually. <laughs> I think it's kind That's of a really
1: good Wikipedia article on it. <laughs> so, yeah
0: i would definitely be checking that out um but yeah thank you so much for coming on and thank you everyone for listening listening. i hope you've gained something and learned something today and like i said please email in if you have any questions about what we've discussed today um but yeah stay tuned for next week's episode and thank you so much for coming on alex really appreciate it no problem
1: have a good one
0: thank you bye everyone